This is Niima Novetsky from TanakhStudy.com. In our last class, we looked at the first subsection of Chapter 20, which spoke of the punishments for the prohibitions of the Molech and Necromancy. Today, we'll turn to the rest of the chapter, which deals almost exclusively with the punishments for the various sexual prohibitions that we learned about in Chapter 18. As we learn, we'll note that though there is much overlap between the prohibitions listed in our chapter and those mentioned in the previous one, there are a couple of prohibitions which are listed only in one chapter, but not the other. In addition, the order of the prohibitions in the two chapters is not identical. These differences should make us question, of course, but perhaps even more troubling is the very existence and placement of our chapter. Why are all the prohibitions repeated at all? Cannot the punishments have been mentioned already in chapter 18 together with the prohibitions? And why are the two chapters, which are obviously so connected, separated by the laws relating to holiness in chapter 19? Before we can address these questions, though, we must first look at the verses inside. Verses 7 and 8 serve as a transition between the first and second units of our chapter, serving to simultaneously close the first section about the Molech and Necromancy, and open the second unit about sexual offenses. Verse 7, Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am Hashem, your God. Verse 8, You shall keep my statutes and do them. I am Hashem who sanctifies you. Hashem warns the nation once again to keep his statutes and to be holy repeating the fact a full three times in these two verses. The rest of the unit lists the punishments for sexual offenses, but strangely, the list actually opens with an exception. Verse 9 speaks not of sexual offenses, but instead of the punishment for cursing one's parents. Ki ish ish asher yikalel et aviv etimo mot yumat, aviv imo kilel zamav bo. Everyone who curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. The verses set death for the punishment of one who curses his parents, repeating this fact twice. Commentators pick up on the fact that in the first half of the verse, the word cursed is juxtaposed with the father, while in the second half of the verse, it is juxtaposed with the mother. This teaches that the action is viewed identically. Whether one curses one's mother or one's father, motumat, he is to be killed. Though the, verses does not, though the verse does not clarify which of the four death punishments is referred to, stoning, burning, killing by sword, or strangling, Chazal learned that the verse refers to stoning from the words damav bo, his blood shall be upon him. This is learned from a gzirah shavah, a hermeneutical tool in which a law is learned based on the usage of similar language in two verses. The words demehem bam, the plural form of the phrase damav bo, which is found in our verse, appears also by the prohibition of necromancy, where the verse says explicitly that the offender is stoned. So we can learn from these words to our verses that it too refers to stoning. A more fundamental question though, is why is this prohibition the one that opens the list of punishments for sexual offenses? What does cursing one's parents have to do with sexual violations? Rav Hirsch suggests that the two pillars that uphold society and are the basis for the development of all humanity are respect for parents and loyalty in marriage. In other words, a healthy family unit with reverence for both parent and spouse sets a tone for all of society and is crucial to live a life of holiness. 
Our chapter thus opens with the call to punish one who does not revere one's parents, and then continues with all the related prohibitions which could potentially harm the family unit, the sexual offenses, beginning with adultery, the biggest enemy to a healthy marriage. Verse 10. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, even he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. The verse speaks of committing adultery, but appears to repeat itself, speaking both of having relations with another man's wife, Eshet Ish, and with Eshet Re'ehu, one's friend's wife. What's the difference between the two? Targum Suter Jonathan suggests that one phrase refers to an engaged woman and the other to a married woman. But on a simple level, the verse might just be saying that regardless of your relationship or lack of relationship to a given male, whether he be your neighbor or unknown to you, you may not sleep with his wife, and so doing will incur a punishment of death. Chazal maintained that the verse refers to chenek, strangling, According to the rule, kol mitah amurastam eina elachenek. Any verse which speaks of only death without further explanation refers to death by strangling. Verse 11 continues the list of punishments, speaking of the consequences of sleeping with one's father's wife. A man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Our chapter mentions only the punishment for having relations with one's stepmother, while chapter 18 had also prohibited sleeping with one's biological mother. The punishment for the latter is learned from a priori argument from here. If having relations with one's stepmother is a capital offense, then surely sleeping with one's biological mother carries the same penalty. Verse 12 turns to sleeping with one's daughter-in-law. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed a perversion. Their blood shall be upon them. Sleeping with a daughter-in-law is referred to as a perverted act, the same noun used to describe bestiality in chapter 18. Perhaps this is meant to convey that there's something unnatural about a father who would actually sleep with his own son's wife. Verse 13 continues with the punishment for homosexuality. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Verse 14 then punishes one who sleeps with a woman and her mother. If a man takes a woman and her mother, it is wickedness. They shall be burned with fire, both he and they, that there may be no wickedness among you. The wording of the punishment in this verse is somewhat difficult, for it states that both he and they will be burned with fire, suggesting that all three parties are killed the husband, his first wife, and her mother. But considering that the original wife is innocent, it's not clear why she should be punished. After all, her marriage was permitted, and it's highly unlikely that she would have played a part in the subsequent relations to be guilty by association. Why would she have condoned her husband's deciding to have relations with her mother? The verse is a source of dispute between Rabbi Yishmael and Rabbi Akiva. 
Rabbi Ishmael maintains that the punishment of death in the verse is only referring to the husband and the second woman. The word ethen means et achat mehen, one of them. According to one understanding of Rabbi Akiva, he instead learns from the plural language that the punishment in the verse comes into play only if both women are alive. If one sleeps with one's mother-in-law while his wife is alive, then the punishment is burning. However, if he does so after his original wife had died, though the act is still prohibited, there's no punishment of death by burning. Verses 15 and 16 turn to bestiality. If a man lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death, and you shall kill the animal. If a woman approaches any animal and lies down with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Interestingly, not only is the man or woman punished, but so is the animal they consorted with. In the Mishnah and Sanhedrin, they asked, why should the animal be killed? And they offered two answers. First, because the animal led the human astray and is thus somewhat culpable. And second, so that not every time it is passed on the street will people say, oh, look at that animal. He was the cause of so-and-so's stoning. All of the punishments that we've seen so far are prosecuted in court and meted out by human judges. The rest of the unit, in contrast, speaks of punishments which are meted out by Hashem alone. Verse 17. If a man takes his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a shameful thing. They shall be cut off in the sight of the children of their people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness. He shall bear his iniquity. Sleeping with one's sister incurs the punishment of karet. We've already discussed that this is not quite clear what this includes, though some say that it means dying early and others without children. While some of the other prohibitions are referred to as abominations, perversion, or the like, by this prohibition, the verse states, ki hu, a seemingly very odd description. What does chesed mean in this context? Rashi explains that in Aramaic, the word means shame. And Rashbam brings a proof text from Mishlei 2510, pen ye to suggest that elsewhere in Tanakh too, the word might mean shame. Because from context, this, verb, this verse from Proverbs can be translated, and lest he who hear shame you. If so, in our verse 2, we're told that this offense is a shameful one. Verse 18 similarly mandates karate, this time for sleeping with a menstruating woman. If a man lies with a woman having her monthly period and uncovers her nakedness, he has made her naked her source, and she has uncovered the source of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from among their people. Verses 19 and 20 continue. You shouldn't uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister nor of your father's sister. who has made naked his close relative. They shall bear their iniquity. If a man lies with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their iniquity. They shall die childless.
These verses turn first to one's aunt through blood from either one's mother or father's side, and then to one's aunt through marriage. In the first case, the verse does not state explicitly what the punishment is, saying only, and their sin they shall bear. But Chazal learned that it refers to karet, like the surrounding punishments. The punishments for having relations with an aunt through marriage is that one's children will die before them, or perhaps that one will be unable to bear children at all. Finally, verse 21 closes the unit. V'ish asher yikach et eshet achiv nidahi ervat achiv gilah aririm yiyu. If a man takes his brother's wife, it is an impurity. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. To summarize the prohibitions and punishments that we've seen. As we noted, the first half of the list deals with capital punishments meted out in human courts, while the second half speaks of those meted out by Hashem. From the individual verses, it's difficult to know which of the four deaths, stoning, burning, sword, or strangling, is referred to in each verse. Chazal suggests the following. Adultery is punished with strangling. Sleeping with one's stepmother and daughter-in-law, homosexuality and bestiality are all punished with stoning, while sleeping with both a mother and her daughter is punished with burning. The second half of the list, which includes sleeping with one's sister, a menstruating woman, one's biological aunt or aunt through marriage, or one's sister-in-law, are all punished by Hashem through karet or childlessness. On the whole, as we said, the list overlaps with the prohibitions of chapter 18. There are, however, several prohibitions which are mentioned in chapter 18 and not repeated here. For example, the prohibition against having relations with one's biological mother, one's daughter or granddaughter, or marrying two sisters, or a woman and her granddaughter. All of these are omitted in our chapter. Perhaps more glaring than these omissions, though, is the different order in which the prohibitions are discussed. In chapter 18, the forbidden unions are arranged according to the degree of closeness between the man and the woman with whom he is sleeping, while in chapter 20, in contrast, the order relates to the severity of the sin and harshness of the punishment. Thus, for example, while adultery is found towards the end of the list in chapter 18, since the party with whom the person is having relations is not related to him at all, this sin heads the list in chapter 20, since it's considered so fundamentally problematic. What leads to this difference in order? Moreover, as we suggested at the beginning of the, as we asked at the beginning of the class, why did the Torah not simply combine the two chapters, stating the punishment for each offense as the prohibition was discussed? Rav Amnon Bazak discusses the issue in a class on the parasha found on Yeshivat Haritzion's website, the VBM. He suggests that the two chapters actually connect to two different thematic units in the book. He suggests that chapter 18 is part of the unit of Sefer Vayikra, which discusses laws of purity and impurity, while our chapter is found in the unit that deals with Kiddushah. It is this difference in context which can account for the difference in the order of the different verses and the fact that the two are repeated. Chapter 18's focus is on how sexual immorality defiles the person and the land. The root Tamei, impure, comes up nine times in the chapter highlighting the theme's centrality to the unit. In chapter 20, in contrast, the root tameh never appears. Instead, the word kadosh repeats, appearing seven times, highlighting how this chapter focuses on how to sanctify oneself. What's the difference between purity and, sanctity and sanctification, though? Rav Bazak suggests that the base state of all matter is one of purity. Certain circumstances and certain deeds can defile, 
while other positive actions can elevate and sanctify. Thus, transgressing the laws of sexual unions can cause impurity, while observing them can help to sanctify. Amnon Bazak uses this distinction to explain not only why the laws are repeated, but also the difference in ordering. He suggests that in chapter 18, the forbidden unions are arranged according to the degree of closeness because the degree of impurity caused by the action is dependent on this factor. The closer the familiar relationship between the two parties, the greater the impurity that results from the union. In chapter 20, in contrast, the laws are arranged according to severity, since that's what affects Kedushah. Since sanctity flows from Hashem, the more severe a sin that is committed, the more detrimental it will be to a person's sanctity. Before we move to the chapter's conclusion, I wanted to look at two stories in the Gemara which talk about the challenges that the mitzvot relating to sexuality present. In Masachet Kiddushin, in the context of discussing the laws of Yehud, not being alone with a woman, the Gemara relates several agadot, several legends, about rabbis who had to confront their yetzer, their evil inclination, and their desire for women. One of the more well-known stories relates to Rav Amram the pious. The Gemara shares that a group of captive women were brought to Nahar Da'ah after they had been redeemed, and they were housed in a loft in the home of Rav Amram the pious. The people removed the ladder which would normally provide access to the loft to ensure that no men would climb up after them. One day, one of the women happened to pass by the entrance to the upper chamber, and the Gemara tells us that her beauty was so great that it was as if a light was shining through. Rav Amram was overcome with desire, and he grabbed a ladder that ten men together could not lift, lifted it on his own, and began climbing. When he was halfway up the ladder, he strengthened his legs against the sides of the ladder to stop himself from climbing further. He raised his voice and cried out, There's a fire in the house of Rav Amram! There's a fire in the house of Rav Amram! Upon hearing his screams, the sages come running and find him midway up the ladder. It becomes quite obvious what had happened, and so the sages say to Rav Amram, You have embarrassed us! Rav Amram replies, It's better that you be ashamed of Rav Amram in this world and not be ashamed of him in the world to come. Rav Amram is presenting as having an amazing sense of priorities. Though he knew how much shame he was about to bring upon himself, he was willing to bear that humiliation as long as he prevented himself from sin. The story ends with Rav Amram taking an oath that his evil inclination should emerge from him, and we are told that indeed an apparition similar to a pillar of fire left him. He says to his evil inclination, See, you are fire, and I am your flesh, and yet I am still superior to you, as I was able to overcome you. The message of the story is clear. No one is immune to temptation, but also we all have the ability to overcome them. A second story, just a page or so later in the Gemara, has a less happy ending. This story revolves around a couple, Rav Chia Barashi and his wife. We are told that every time Rav Chia would say Tachanun, he would add in a special prayer that Hashem help him withstand his Yitzhah Hara, his evil inclination. This surprises his wife, who thinks to herself, he hasn't been with me in years already. Why does he need to pray like that? Apparently, she had been under the impression that her husband, getting on in years, had lost his sexual desire. It seems, though, that in reality, the opposite was true. His sexual desire frightened him, and so he had decided to refrain from intercourse, thinking that abstinence would help him control it. 
A few days later, when Rav Chia was learning in the garden, his wife decides to disguise herself as a prostitute and test her husband. When she goes to the garden, he's overcome by desire and falls to the temptation. Upon returning home later, he's totally devastated and tries to harm himself. His wife attempts to calm him down and tells him what really happened, that it was she and not a prostitute, so he really did nothing wrong. He cannot be consoled, saying that it makes no difference, since after all, he had meant to sin, and he torments himself the rest of his life until he dies. The story raises many questions and has many messages, but I think one of the most important ones for our discussion is the Gemara's implied critique of Rav Chia's abstinence. He hoped to conquer his yeter. He hoped to conquer his evil inclination, choosing not to engage even relations which were permitted to him. But his plan backfired, increasing rather than decreasing his desire, and probably hurting his wife along the way. This eventually leads to his downfall. As we saw from the first story that we looked at, the Gemara is well aware of sexual temptations and the importance of self-control but it nonetheless does not promote a life of total abstinence. Permitted relations are fine and even encouraged. As with so many things in life, proper balance is essential. Let's now move to our chapter's conclusion. It, like the body of our chapter, echoes certain aspects of chapter 18. Verse 22. Ushmartem et kol mishpatai vasitem otam. You shall keep my statutes and all my ordinances and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to dwell may not vomit you out. You shall not walk in the customs of the nations which I am casting out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess it, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am Hashem your God, who has separated you from the peoples. Here, as in chapter 18, Hashem speaks of the land not being able to bear the iniquities of its inhabitants and vomiting out those who sin. He points out how the Canaanites are to be thrown out due to their deeds, and that our fate might potentially be the same if we follow their customs. We are supposed to be distinct and separate from other nations. The next verse, at first glance, seems out of place, but it continues the theme of separation. You shall therefore make a distinction between the clean animal and the unclean, between the unclean fowl and the clean, and you shall not make yourselves abominable by animal, by bird, or by anything with which the ground teems, which I have separated you from as unclean for you. I am not sure why Hashem decides to reiterate the warnings against forbidden foods specifically here. It's possible that one of the goals of the mitzvot of kashrut is to distinguish and separate Israel from other nations, the motif of our concluding verses. The very fact that Israelites have a unique diet not shared by their neighbors, marks them as different. In addition, from a practical perspective, the dietary restrictions make it more difficult to socialize and celebrate with Gentiles, as many aspects of people's interactions revolve around food. If so, in the context of speaking about how Hashem has separated Israel from other nations to be His, 
he mentions one of the ways through which this is accomplished. Hashem then repeats, Pasuk Chavav, You shall be holy to me, for I, Hashem, am holy, and have set you apart from the peoples, that you shall be mine. The chapter ends, somewhat anticlimactically, with one more prohibition and punishment. A man or a woman that is a medium or a wizard shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones, their blood shall be upon them. This verse, in contrast to the verse discussing necromancy earlier in the chapter, appears to speak not about someone seeking out a diviner, but about the diviners themselves. They too are punished with stoning. Our verse concludes not just the chapter, but the entire unit of Sefer Vayikra, which deals with laws meant to ensure the holiness of the nation. Parashat and Mor will turn to those laws meant to ensure the holiness of the priestly class specifically, the subject of our next class.